My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2.1 Let me ask you a question. As a child of God, is there something you're doing or have done that needs repented of or forgiven, made right, cleared up or confessed? Are you burdened, carrying around the weight of some sin? If so, there is a balm in Gilead. We have an advocate. If not, and you stand with a clear conscience before God and man, praise the Lord, thank God, and fear Him. But what happens if we become overtaken in a fault? And you'll notice I said if, not when. Okay, so I've responded in a previous recording to the question, can we be perfect? And now I would like to address the matter of what do we do if we're not? As Jesus said of the church in Sardis, I have not found thy works perfect before God. And it's on my heart to address this question, but before I do, I need to briefly mention two things. First, do not be deceived. It is if we sin, not when we sin. See, some erroneously point to 1 John 1.8 where he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And pulling this verse out of context, conclude that we will abide in sin at all times. Because it's clear here, they say. The Bible teaches us that if we say we have no sin, we're deceived. Therefore, we cannot be freed from sin. Which is to say, we're stuck in Romans 7, verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Those who teach this, that this is the state of a child of God, are either deceived or they are correct because they are not a child of God. And it is to such that this passage applies. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that we are freed from sin, alive unto Christ, servants of righteousness, and our fruit is unto holiness. We only have to keep reading and find that this same John says in the same letter, Sin not. And also, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And again, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. You are not hopelessly bound to sin. Thanks be to God. Secondly, we'll be speaking here of those sins not unto death. John tells us also in the same letter, that there are sins unto death, of which we are not even to pray. Lord willing, I will cover this in the future. But here, we're looking at the merciful promise of those sins, for which we can pray, and life will be given. It's that abundant life that Jesus came to this earth to bring, and it's in this life that we want to abide. So what happens, brothers, if we go for that second look? What happens, sisters, if you, tempted with envy and vanity, take upon yourself some form of lasciviousness? What happens, fathers, if we are agitated in one of those busy moments of life and respond unjustly in anger towards one of our children and provoke them to wrath? What happens, mothers, 
If the perfect storm unleashes at home and you lash out uncharitably towards a dear child that needs the love of their mother. What happens, brothers and sisters, if the adversary of our souls wins a battle in this life and we're wounded? Don't let him win the war. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed, we read in James 5. How often does pride get in the way of you being healed? What is keeping you from confessing your faults to each other? Has Satan convinced you that nobody will understand? Or maybe you're just too embarrassed? Maybe you spent so much time convincing yourself it's no big deal. And as Satan whispers to you, come on, it's not a salvation issue. How can somebody pray for you and help bear your burden if they don't know what you're battling with? Hebrews 12 tells us, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Will you yield to a morsel of meat and forsake your birthright? Has sin taken root in your heart? Look diligently so you don't fail of the grace of God. Don't wait until there is no place of repentance for you. James 1, 14-16 But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So what is your own lust? Don't try to justify it based on what everyone else is doing. We have a tendency to compare ourselves among ourselves, and Scripture teaches us this is not wise. So what is your own lust? Brothers, is it lust of the flesh? Do you struggle to resist the temptation to let your eyes roam? Sisters, is it pride of life? Do you feel a little more valuable when you can turn someone's head when you walk by? Brethren, is it lust of the eye? Do you wrestle with the compulsion to know, see, or experience anything that enters your mind because it's already at your fingertips? Are these struggles or others weakening your relationship with Christ, diminishing your light in this world, or threatening to make them your master? Remember our Lord's call to radical amputation. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. Pluck it out and cut it off. But that's not enough. He goes further and says, and cast it from thee. 
Consider for a moment the creeping thistle. This is one of the most problematic weeds. It grows best in moderate sunlight and moderate temperatures, or you could say a lukewarm environment. If you are diligent, you can spot them when they're small, but you'll need to dig deep to completely remove them. If not, and you let it grow, it'll disguise itself with a beautiful purple flower. And by the time you realize that you've got a problem and you try to pull it out of the ground, it leaves all these tiny roots deep in the earth, and they're ready to shoot forth with an army of new plants. The only way to get rid of it then is every time it shows up, cut it off. And over time, you'll eventually kill the roots because you've taken away their source of energy. Do you have some creeping thistles in your garden? If they're just little weeds, dig them up, pluck them out, root and all, and cast it from thee. If they've matured and disguised themselves as flowers with deep roots, cut them down. And every time you see a new one sprout, cut it down. Kill its life supply. Confess them to your brothers and sisters. They'll come prepared to help bear your burden, clothed in the armor of God with an unfeigned love of the brethren. Maybe you step back and look at your garden. Maybe there's not much fruit growing there. You haven't weeded in a while, and it looks overwhelming. You don't know how to do it. You're not even sure where to begin. The spirit indeed is welling, but the flesh is weak. But we, we have an advocate. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 to 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need.